How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Welcome to the Locked on NBA podcast. I'm excited for this conversation. It's going to be a little bit different. It's still sponsored by our good friend SeatGeek. Don't worry about that. We'll tell you more about SeatGeek coming up. But rather than an NBA breakdown or something like that, I want to talk about the broadcasting world of the NBA. We'll venture off a little bit outside of uh, some of that as well, just kind of in the big picture media where it's going, NBA media. Uh, Richard Deitch is the Sports Illustrated columnist for uh, media and then does a fabulous podcast as well that I strongly suggest. Uh, I have six broadcast assistants that work with me and for me during the season. They regularly get emails that say, you must listen to this podcast if you're going to go into the business. It's incredible insight to the business and then people uh, that you welcome and that you know well. So I'm excited to welcome in Richard Deitch. Richard, uh, welcome to Locked on NBA. Uh, I won't ask you to break down the the pick and roll today or the new, you know, Tom Thibodeau defense, but we will talk a lot of NBA media. First of all, I really appreciate the hype job you just gave me, so thank you very much on that. And uh, congrats on your own podcast success. Obviously, in NBA circles, it's uh, it's very, very highly thought of, so uh, congrats on that. Let me start with your podcast. Thank you. Uh, you've done this incredible series of interviews. The most recent is is genius. It's Ivan Mizell, who's uh, many of you may know his son passed uh, this last year of a suicide, and he talks about that experience, how it's impacted his reporting. I strongly suggest it. Uh, if you're coming from Utah, our own uh, Holly Rowe was about three podcasts ago about the, what cancer she's going through and her experience. It's amazing. Uh, I strongly suggest that one. I also love Holly to the end of the earth, so um, I'm probably a little biased on that one. But what have you learned? Let me just start there, then we'll get into NBA. But just big picture, talking to all these people in the business, what have you learned most about the business, about the media, by doing this podcast? Well, the, the, the genesis of the podcast really was to give people that I particularly found interesting a long-form uh, forum to explain what they do and why they do it. You know, we see these people, and you know this, you're in the business so often on television. We are, there are broadcasters who are more well-known than athletes on many, many teams because they're part of our, they're part of our world. They're part of our ecosystem far more than the athletes. And I think, and I've always thought this, that the um, sports media or broadcasting is just, it's, it's underserved as content for viewers, readers, listeners, because we don't really know a lot about why and how people do what they do who are part of the sports media. And I've always found just from my writing there are far, I mean, even my Sports Illustrated bosses had to learn this. There's just far more people who are interested in this than I think anyone ever realized. So in terms of what I've learned from the interviews, I've just learned how people go about, or I should say how professionals go about the process of doing what they do every day. I've tried to specifically interview people that I either think are interesting or that are really particularly good at their jobs. So I ask them very honestly, open-ended questions, why, how, stuff like that. And I just sit back and they usually end up doing the majority 
the talking. It's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to sort of listen to, let's take Ivan Maisel, for example, of how do you work through grief? His 22-year-old son died. He committed suicide, actually jumped there, at least that, that sort of Ivan's perception of it, that he, um, outside of Rochester, uh, one day walked to a, a lake and, and went in, and nobody knows exactly why. And so when that, like, catastrophic thing happens in your life, like, how do you continue to do your job? And does your job help you at all with the grieving process? How does the death of someone that close to you change what you do as a professional or how you think as a professional? So those are just, those are just sort of some of the, the questions that I had. And I, generally speaking, as a rule, just sort of sit back and, and listen for the most part. We've had podcasts where I've dialogued back and forth, especially if we sort of do a podcast when it's, we're just sort of doing like sports media nerd stuff and talking about the business. But as a as a general rule, I I just I try to find interesting people. I ask very open ended questions, and then I just sit back and listen. By the way, uh, the podcast is SI Media Podcast, and then I would also point out that Ernie Johnson was the podcast before Holly Rowe, and Ernie Johnson is maybe the best person in the world. Uh, One of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Let, let Let's start. If we're gonna do NBA TV, let's start there. One of the things that I love when you get into with NBA people is you dig into that TNT show. Uh, you know, in I think in TV, Saturday Night Live has always been the show. Like, why does it always work? Why is Saturday Night Live? And there's been this, you know, aura about Lauren Michaels. Like, in your mind, you've asked so many people, and it's so clear even when you talk to Sage Steele or other people, that ESPN is kind of mesmerized by what TNT has done. Why has that simply become one of the best shows on television, regardless of whether it's about the NBA or anything else? Well, I think first and foremost, there's no one else like Charles Barkley working today in the sports media. And a lot of that is a product of who Charles was before he joined television. He was an incredible, well, first of all, he's obviously one of the great players in the league. Uh, so he's a very famous guy. He was an incredibly honest interview as a player. You know, I'm not sure if we're allowed to, probably can't curse on this podcast, but, you know, he just did not give any SH bleep bleep yeah. about however anyone thought about his opinion. And that's a very rare person in uh, in the sports world, and even more rare today in 2016, where he just, you know, he he is he is incredibly honest, and honestly, for the most part, does not care about the consequences of being honest. That doesn't mean his honesty is in thoughtfulness as well. He's just a very blunt person. You ask him a question, and he'll answer it. The other thing about Barkley that's kind of truly unique is he's really funny, and it's not always. Uh, there, you know, comedy on television in sports is not easy, and he's accessible. For a guy so famous, he really likes people. And I imagine you've been around him in NBA circles. He just, you know, he's accessible to the viewer in the same way he's pretty accessible when he's just outside talking to the public. So first and foremost, I think you have one of the most unique talents in the history of sports broadcasting, a guy that famous, that well-known, who happens to be that good on TV. You then combine that with a host in Ernie Johnson, who may be the most ego-free host, or one of the most ego-free hosts in the history of sports. So he allows the people on that set in you know, Shaq and Kenny now, but you know, prior to that, obviously, Kenny and Charles. He allows them to essentially be the stars of the show. And then lastly, I keep saying lastly, but uh, another reason for that, and this is sort of where ESPN has never really been able to figure it out, and they, they couldn't catch that show anyway in terms of popularity. It just won't be the case. Turner, at a certain point, made a decision that they were going to let that show be unstructured and that they were going to let their analysts sort of do something very conventionally different than other shows. 
they were going to let guys like Kenny Charles and Shaq not go to pre-show meetings, not necessarily um, be so into here's what's coming on A block, here's what's coming on B block, here's what's coming on C block. They were going to try their best to make that show as organic as possible, even if it went off the rails, because they thought that was a more interesting broadcast than, okay, Analyst X gets 15 seconds a year, Analyst Y gets 15 seconds a year, Analyst Z gets 15 seconds a year. ESPN's show has gotten a little bit better, but as a general rule, that's what that network is about. It's, it's very planned. It's, you know, it's uh, analyst says this now, analyst is going to say this here. Okay, now we're on to another topic. And for some shows like PTI and stuff, it works great. But for the NBA studio show, especially post-game, what Turner does is really genius because it's almost like jazz. It's just free form, and you never know what's coming next, and it's always, for the most part, interesting. And so you take a sort of a once-in-a-lifetime or once-in-a-generation broadcast talent, combine it with one of the great sports hosts of all time in Ernie Johnson. You have another guy like Kenny Smith who's really, really smart, interesting to listen to, and then add a guy like Shaq who's so famous and occasionally funny, and you mix all those guys up, and it's just what you get is you know, arguably the greatest sports studio show of all time and one of the great shows of all time. I mean, the ultimate is I have inside the NBA on my DVR recorded every single time it ever airs, that, and I don't have that tells you that that tells you everything you need to know right there. Right, and I don't have the game recorded. Like the game's irrelevant. Like if I might watch the game, I'm gonna watch inside the NBA. That that's exactly. the, that's the, so I I thought it was a real risk to add Shaq. I didn't think he was going to be very good. He's actually turned out to be fine. Did you think that was a he's, real yeah, he's, I, that's a, yeah, I, I did. I think that's an excellent point by you. I think he was. I think it's taken him a couple of years to figure out what he is on that show. But, again, to Barkley and Kenny Smith's credit, they have allowed him to sort of figure out his space within that show. That wouldn't be the case for everybody else. Certain guys would get jealous. Certain, you know, that's one great thing about that show is it's just it's you never feel like the guys on set are somehow competing for airtime. That trust me, you know this. You're in the business. That happens on a lot of other studio shows. In this case, that's not the case. So they, you know, Shaq is not a natural on TV. He's funny, but he's he's not a television natural, and his voice isn't a television natural voice. So they 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 allowed him to sort of figure out his place on the set. He's now got pretty good banter with Chuck, and. He occasionally actually will even say something where you think, oh, that's kind of interesting, Shaq. He didn't really always do that the first two years. He was a little vanilla. But now I think he's found the confidence where he's, he's pretty honest with the audience when it comes to what he's watching. So I would, not have, I would not have thought that it would have worked as well as it has. But it's, it's working pretty good now. Let's talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a fabulous ticket-perching app experience. Download the SeatGeek app. And add the promo code LOCKED. The other day, a buddy of mine just sent me a text. Hey, do you have tickets for this game? I said, no, I don't have any access to those. Check out SeatGeek, use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll save $20 after your first ticket purchase. He texted me back. That was amazing. It is. It's an incredible user experience. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on all of their sites into one place to save you time. You never miss a deal. You can also set up to send you alerts if you know an event you want to go to, like one of these NCAA tournament events, or you know you're going to be in a town for a certain thing. You set your alert. So you do that. Then it shows you a grade. There's big green circles for the best deals. Little small red circles for bad deals. So you get a good deal. You have easy use on it. And it's always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike other places, the full ticket price is there start to finish. That's the beauty of SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code LOCKED and get 20 
$50 off your first purchase, and you'll find out the same thing my buddy did. It is a great user experience. Download the SeatGeek app now. Promo code LOCKED. Here's the wildest thing about this show to me. Charles is never right. (laughs) I mean, he's crazily inaccurate with what he says all the time. And I guess as someone who's a diehard in the league who's, you know, has to take, oh, Charles said this. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what Charles said. It's incredible to me how, I mean, last year, right, his whole thing, all last year, you can't win like the Warriors won. Well, no, you actually can't. I mean, in every year it goes on like this. It, why does that not matter? Well, I, you know, he gets he get, Barkley gets he's one of the few guys who gets a pass when it comes to predictions. I think because a lot of people sort of think it's it's done from a amusing and funny place. But yeah, he's so hung up on outside shooting not working in the league, <laughs> and he's going to be burned again this year by uh, Steph and the Warriors. He has made some calls that are correct. I mean, he's not. You know, the one thing that I like about Charles is this is not a Skip Bayless wrestling heel character. He's not he's not just saying outlandish things because he wants attention. I think he has some beliefs that are um, uh, not congruent with the current NBA. And so when he says it, it's pretty funny. The other reason, and this is like where if you are a that famous an athlete, you will get a little bit of passes, you know, even if he's wrong, you, you can't deny the fact that he's one of the 50 greatest players of all time. So he's coming from a place where he understands things about the league that none of us who didn't, you know, did not play in the league could not. And I think not only Barkley, but, you know, Shaq and Kenny would get that sort of benefit of the doubt too. You know, in the same way somebody like, a, you know, a Jalen Rose or Doug Collins might too. I think it's a little different when a guy is really wrong as a analyst who played or coached than just one of us who's making a call. I think you get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt because, you know, you were part of that establishment or you were part of that organization uh, actively at some point. That's a great point. I think there's an interesting thing going on with the NBA. The highlight show is supposedly dead. We're a highlight league. There's no better highlights than what Steph Curry does every night or LeBron did in his prime. We're a highlight league. How does the NBA work toward the future as a highlight league when the highlight show is dead? Well, you see, I'd say the multi-sport highlight show may be dead. I don't know if the single-sport highlight show is dead. And the NBA, uh, much better, certainly, than, let's say, Major League Baseball, is great about social sharing. It's highlights. So whether it's on Twitter or Facebook, you know, Snapchat, wherever, you can get NBA highlights. You can get it in real time. That's why that sport uh, will always be a great highlight sport. Because even if um, even if you no longer are going to wait for, like, Sports Center at 11 o'clock to get your NBA highlights, there are just too many places around digitally that you can get NBA highlights. I mean, literally, and I'm sure um, you would agree with me on this. The second somebody does something incredible in the league, whether it's like just a you know like this once in a lifetime dunk or Steph Curry hits a 55 footer, it's like 35 seconds until it's on Twitter, and you're seeing that almost in real time. So the, the highlights are are still here. They're just coming in a different direction. What is true, though, and your point is correct, is that what we think of as the highlight show, uh, or what we grew up on, I should be more accurate, is essentially over. The the notion that you are going to sort of watch SportsCenter now at 11 o'clock to get an update on all these highlights for the night is gone, because there are just too many places where you can see that, and that's why you're seeing sports centers of the world trying to rebrand themselves and figure out what are they going to be in 2016 heading forward. And they're still trying to figure that out. They still have to show highlights. Ultimately, you know, you're a, it's a sports news show. You still have to show them. 
The problem is, how do you make your show interesting when, you know, maybe 30% of your audience has already seen these highlights or even worse when, you know, 20% of your audience doesn't even get cable anymore and they don't even know who you are. This is a, this is probably venturing outside of, I mean, this is kind of a crazy question. And if you really knew the answer, we probably should not share it and should go somewhere with it. But I think you and I are similarly aged only because you have twins that are a little younger than my kids. So I think you're just a little younger. Like, I think that's the only reason I've done that. But so I grew up and I was a baseball player and fan. So, I mean, you had to see This Week in Baseball, right? That was, do you remember the old show, This Week in Baseball? Yeah, of course. Mel Mel Allen hosts that, is that right? Yes, Mel Allen. And then Monday Night Baseball with whatever teams, that was my, like, one chance to see what St. Louis might look like. Or, oh, boy, if, you know, if my favorite little weird team I had was the Expos, I always thought that the, the Warren Cromarty, Andre Dawson, Gary Carter Expos were better than they were getting credit for. So you'd, if they, you had to watch that. What is the 13-year-old fan today? How are they consuming? I did baseball, but what, let's go NBA. How are they consuming the NBA, and what does it mean for the future of how broadcasting in the league answers this? Well, I still think they're consuming the NBA. Uh, let's assume that they're fans of their local team. I think for the most part, they're still watching the cable channel that that team is on. And, you know, if they can stay up, they're watching those games. But, you know, they're probably getting highlights on their Facebook if they have it, or they're getting it on Snapchat. Um, I think for some, they're probably, you know, you hope they still will attend games, but in some cities that might be tough just given um, given the price of tickets. But I don't know if there is, um, you know, what I think would be different about today is I don't know if the Thursday night TNT doubleheader has the same cachet as like Monday night baseball and Monday night football would have when we were kids. Uh, Saturday night basketball on ABC has done pretty well, but I'm not, I don't get the sense that somehow that's like uh, for, you know, like the, the ultimate destination viewing for a 13 year old. So I think, you know, I, I think they're still watching and consuming games in the same way most of us do. My sense would be that they're getting their highlights in a different way. And most of their highlights are coming through their phone or their Xbox or some other device. But, you know, this is where sports sort of still remains uh, the, 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 the sort of the content that's holding up all the cable is there's still not many other places other than cable to get the actual game. So if you want to watch the game, you still have to watch your regional or local carrier because you're not, generally speaking, going to get it anywhere else. And it's interesting. My daughter is a basketball junkie she's 10 years 11 years old she loves it my 13 year old could just care less uh my 10 year my 11 year old daughter loves it every time she gets the nba uh app tells her that there's a game within five minutes she watches it five points in five minutes she watches it she knows every old player because she's playing nba jam or 2k on an old version and she'll come to me all the time how good was steve nash how good was this player? And the reason she knows them is from a video game, and then she knows the league through the final five minutes through the apps. It's really, it's a, I think it's interesting. It's a fascinating way that they're they're absorbing this league. Uh, yeah, well, which is, you know, there's a reason why all these uh, networks and cable companies, ESPN, et cetera, are always trying to partner with um, gaming companies, and that's the reason because they know that if they can get ten, eleven, twelve year olds to consume their product that way, they may have a consumer for life. 
Well, I think the eSports is the next one. I mean, I think, and I think uh, the poster child of eSports might be sitting in my backyard in Gordon Hayward. I, I, think, I think this is the next, the next big step. I'm going to be calling play-by-play games of John from Trenton, New Jersey, against Steve, from, <laughs> and they're going to be playing the Lakers-Celtics of the Showtime era, and my only value will be I was old enough to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this. Um, I'd watch for eSports. It's pretty fascinating in terms of the idea that there's this gigantic group of young people who want to watch live video games play out. What I don't honestly know is I think there definitely is an audience for, you know, the, uh, I'm going to show you one show my age and two show my ignorance. I wish I could, you know, I, whatever the hot games are where all these e-sports leagues exist, whatever those games are, and I should know them off the top of my head, but I don't, there's going to be con- there's going to be an audience for them. What I don't know is will there be an audience for two teams playing sports video games and people wanting to watch them because the, you, the, the difference is you could actually watch the live players playing the real NBA. You don't need to watch 2K to per se get that experience as opposed to these other games, you know, whether it's Call of Duty or whatever else, you know, you really can't watch that live per se. So that would be my one question and it's probably smarter people than me that can answer that is, is there, uh, are there millions of potential people who would actually watch an e-gamer league consisting of sports games as opposed to the games consisting of fantasy and war and some of this other stuff. Incredible thought. Uh, that's a great thought. I, I totally get the Call of Duty thing. I had never thought about it the other way. That's a fabulous, fabulous point of view. Richard Deitch is with us. Uh, follow him uh, on his Sports Illustrated column is great. Uh, actually, my favorite part about it, I hope this. I love his sports column, but also the read, the best reads out there. He does both politically uh, – worldly uh, and sports reads of the week every week are in there. I, I hope, did you catch the Washington Post piece this week on the uh, trial for the, on the, did you catch that one? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, uh, I think, I think he, I think he was, a, I want to say he was either in the Navy or the yeah. Marines and the guy who was uh, court-martialed and eventually um, was able to get off. And then the reporter of the piece for the Washington Post finds out some text and information which really then gives you cause to think that maybe yeah. the maybe there's something maybe the the, the uh, legal institution screwed up and it's ruling. It's a really interesting story. I uh, I would add that John Woodrow, oh man, John, John Woodrow Cox is, oh, Cox. The, is the author of that. So if you go Google John Woodrow Cox in the Washington Post. You'll find that's a really, really fascinating piece. Well, compliment to you. I read it and thought of you. Like, oh, I got to make sure Richard knows about this one. You're already on it. So, uh, you're on. let me let me go back to something you said a minute ago. Uh, Saturday night ESPN or Saturday night ABC NBA Grand Slam, double off the wall, home run. What's your thought? Or I guess maybe I should rechange this. Slam dunk, Steph Curry three. No, but what, what's your thought? Because it feels really good. Did they hit something here? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree totally so far. I mean, I think, you know, I think a 26-footer from uh, Clay Thompson. I don't know if I want to go Steph Curry level yet, but a, uh, it's been really, really strong. Obviously, the Warriors are unbelievable television this year. So when they've had the Warriors on and when they've had the Warriors on in a, in a close game, you know, they're drawing over 5.5 million people. That's a great number for a Saturday night, lowest watch night of the week. So um, I think it's been a very good package so far. It's uh, – I have to. I would have to believe the NBA has got to be happy about being on a prime time night of the week. I think the games have been pretty good. Again, you know, this is all relative. the The finals are drawing twenty six million, so we're not entering that 
uh, level. The the Christmas Day games are still going to draw much better than that if they're close. But this is, you know, this this would beat Thursday night's games. This would beat every regular um, a regular night of the week uh, game, whether it's an ESPN Turner game or a regional game. So the fact that they'd be able to create this uh, package and get really good numbers so far, I think ESPN and the NBA have to be really, really excited. I, I do. The only thing that would give me pause on all this is the Warriors have become such a television team and such must-see TV, given that they're going after the Bulls' record. I, I would wonder what is it going to be like three years from now when the Warriors aren't going for this record. And, um, you know, we're seeing good teams play on Saturday night, but we're not seeing history in the balance. And then I'd be really curious to see how far the ratings fall if they say fairly steady, then they know they've got a great thing on Saturday night, or how much of it is sort of part of this Warriors momentum. Uh, the new TV contract is about to kick in. So we're a, we're a little bit of a ways away from th- this next question. But the next TV contract, the NBA signs, is signed with whom? That's a good question. You, you, remind, remind me of how many years they just re-upped for this one. Do you know? I, I think know. I think it's got six, six or eight. I think it's got six or eight. So I mean, I'm asking like, is okay. it is it Amazon? Is it YouTube? Is it Netflix? Is it something we've never heard of? Is it ABC, ESPN? Like, what's your thought? I would still say that uh, ESPN and Turner would still retain some of that package for continuity, and you know, and I think the lead that would be important to the lead because that's the still the dominant mechanism of which they market it. Would not be surprised, though, to see some digital place like a Netflix or an Apple TV or um, a Yahoo or Amazon or someplace like that. Uh, Yahoo's actually starting to stream games. Just have more of a national package. I, I, Again, I'm not one who believes that we're five or ten years away from, like, basketball still, final still not being on ABC or Turner not having its Thursday night games. It's not, that's not going to dramatically shift in the next 10 to 20 years. What will shift, though, is I think we'll just see the packages be sliced up a little bit more, and we'll get some digital carriers to have some national games. So I would say the next – I almost like – I would sort of follow the the NFL on all this stuff. I think the NFL will ultimately um, give a digital carrier some live games, maybe not exclusively, but just sort of part of their larger package now. And then I think you'll see the NBA, which is the second biggest league, uh, follow suit and bring in one of these digital companies to be part of their broadcast offerings, but not to be the dominant player. It, we're in a day and age where the long tail approach seems to work. The long tail business that I'm, I'm no longer going to have Cheers and I'm no longer going to have uh, Mash and I'm no longer going to have Seinfeld. So if I can piece together a bunch of small things in my long tail, I'm going to be successful. Will the with that in mind? Will the day come where the NBA team broadcasts multiple versions of the same live broadcast? Do you, do you, hmm. For those who don't follow me, I'm going to put up a woman's edition. I'm going to put up a young kid's edition. I'm going to put up the traditional edition. It's a little bit of almost like triple cast, which failed. It's a little bit of what's going on with the NCAA. I think the Lakers tried it once. I feel like it's the future. Do you think, we, do you think it is? I don't know. The only reason I would give pause for that is that the production costs of that will not be cheap. If you have to have multiple broadcasters, multiple directors, multiple cameras. That said, I do like the idea of personalization and everything, and that would be the ultimate 
personalization. What strikes me more logical would be that you will be watching games on whatever your screen is, digital screen, laptop, uh, iPad, mobile device, and you have uh, you have full producing or directing capacity, meaning that you can watch the game from any angle or from maybe any player's perspective. Let's, I'm just making this up, but let's say the players have some kind of tiny cameras on their shoulder or something like that. You watch the whole game through like Steph Curry can. Wow. And then maybe there'll be, maybe you'll get um, for nas- a national game, you'll have the opportunity to plug in the local broadcasters, but that would devalue the rights for like an ESPN or a Turner. So I'm not even sure of that. So I, while I like your idea theoretically, like if you know, you market it for, let's say for kids, you market it for, um, you know, people who only want to watch the game from the ground floor level. It, um, I would just sort of pause because you, you have to, you know, the one thing, and you know this about the business is they're contracting and reducing costs, not necessarily speaking for all this extending costs. And so I would be wary to suggest something's going to happen that's going to really be a lot more money production-wise and less. The Players' Tribune is the beginning of something or not? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the beginning and the end of access for traditional media, but it's certainly the beginning of uh, a lot of um, a lot of athletes uh forming, continuing to form their own mechanisms to distribute their own content or their own thoughts. So Jeter's Players' Tribune won't be the last of what the Players' Tribune is, and maybe we'll start to see sports-specific Players' Tribunes, and, um, you know, we might even see, like, mini Players' Tribunes in certain cities. Uh, but here's the deal, the and you know this from the NBA, until the leagues, like, take away all the access that media has, they're not going to be shut out. I mean, you know, even people who are part of the Players' Tribune, Kevin Durant and Blake Griffins in the world, as far as I understand, they're still talking after games or before games. Now, a lot of stars, obviously, they might talk once for the night, but you can't get the access of them the way you can get others. But, you know, it's not going to eliminate all access. The other thing, too, that I think people sort of get worried about with the Players' Tribune, oh, man, this is the end, athletes are... Um, are just going to sort of distribute this on their own. We're still talking a very small percentage of athletes who are even involved in this. You know, take an NBA team. Out of the 15 guys who are on a roster, you know, what are we looking at? Maybe three or four with the potential to do even do a Players' Tribune? I mean, the, the eighth guy on an NBA roster is not going to be shutting out the media. Generally speaking, they're going to want the media. So the, the end of access will never come, but we're going to see more, I think, Players' Tribune stuff because I think there's going to be um, – there's going to be high-profile athletes who have the means and the resources to create this kind of distribution stuff. What I don't know if this is financially feasible. I just was playing with ideas knowing I was going to talk to you. So Steph Curry decides to launch Steph Curry TV uh, using right. – uh, you know, Red Bull TV is the f- is incredible. That's kind of the future. But so Steph Curry launches an app that's Steph Curry TV, and he starts to video everything he does and his practice things you can see. And all of a sudden, he starts putting that little camera you mentioned a moment ago on his jersey during a game. And now he's he, the only way you're getting what Steph Curry saw during the game is through the Steph Curry TV app. Some somebody get a little worried about this and start balking. Is this the next fight between whose rights these are? Is there or is this too crazy an idea? No, I think the NBA owns the right though in the game, so I don't think Steph Curry's going to be able to do that. And I guess contractually he can't do that. He can't put a camera on for redistribution of his own profit and purposes. He, the only way he'll be able to do that would be if he um, signed a contract or the NBA allowed him the right or signed a contract with him 
to do that. Now, if the players uh, association somehow like negotiates like that kind of right in its next contract, then it's interesting. But I would think the league is really going to try to protect themselves because ultimately the league owns the product. You know, Steph Curry is an employee of the NBA and the NBA controls the distribution of the product. So I don't see that happening because I don't see the league giving up rights to individuals. What Steph Curry could absolutely do, though, is it strikes me that in any non-NBA arena, he could basically, if, he, if, if Steph Curry wanted to do Steph Curry cam and just go to his local basketball court and do his dribbling stuff and do his shooting, he could absolutely like film that, charge that, and people could pay for it. He can make, he can make money on that. But I don't. My guess would be that once he enters an NBA arena, including for practice, he does not have the rights to that stuff. Interesting. Okay. Uh, here's the selfish question because this is the question that keeps me up at night that I try to answer every day. What do you believe? The, I mean, there's a question here basically of what is broadcasting. So what do you believe the role of the home announcer is in this modern world? I think the, the, the role of the home announcer is the same as the, the role of any broadcaster. I think it's to bro- provide a quality set of eyes and a quality set of description for what you are either watching or, uh, or watching through the eyes of said broadcaster. You should be accurate. You should be descriptive. You should be honest. You should be entertaining. You should, I think, have your audience's best interests at heart. This is where it's subjective for me. I don't think you should be an over-the-top homer, but I think there are fans who would want you to be an over-the-top homer. But I think broadcasting ultimately, sort of from the beginning of time, and, you know, Shakespeare's days or even way before that, is is you, you, you're providing the eyes of you're providing the eyes to the audience and it's your role and your job to provide accurate, thoughtful, smart, comprehensive eyes as to what I'm seeing on the court and why I'm seeing it. So in that sense, you know, I think there's a reason why like Ben Scully is the best broadcaster uh, currently and probably the best of all time from his, you know, his recall to his description, to his, his ability to entertain, but yet inform. And I think the best people in the business, regardless of what sport they're calling they all have those similar characteristics. And the question on that, the build off it, which keeps me up at night, is what platforms are broadcasting? I understand that my job is, is the radio announcer, but does the radio announcer also broadcast through Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and podcasts? And is it a 82 night a year relationship or is it a 365 day a year, 24 7 relationship? I think your job is 365, 24-7. I think if you are a, a broadcaster of a team, employed by a team, to me you have a relationship with your audience every day of the year, every night of the year. So wherever you are, um, wherever you are producing or opining or describing or however you want to sort of phrase it when it comes to the jazz, you, 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 are, uh, you, are a broadcast, you are a broadcaster, for lack of a better sort of phrase on that the medium changes whether it's snapchat twitter facebook you know over uh, radio but but you're still broadcasting to them if you're on twitter giving me some insight into the team you're broadcasting your thoughts so sort of just how you look at it but you have a unique job where i think it's 365 um is my job sort of covering media 365 maybe it is but i could probably make a better argument on certain times that it's not but i think for you given that you are um you are part of that organization 
and that organization does not shut down any day of the year even if they're not playing, I would say your job's 365. Well said. I mean, I think about it all the time. All right, let's go to you specifically here. Uh, I w- the power of media is that the power of media can influence opinions. You might have more influence on your realm, particularly because there aren't many other people who do what you do, than anyone. How does that weigh on you or not weigh on you as you write your opinion pieces of shows? Because when someone comments on how Kevin Durant did something, there's 30 other people, and I'm not sure actually the people making decisions on Durant or a draft prospect actually care what the media says. Contrasting, I think people who are in your realm really care what you say about things. I mean, I appreciate that. I think you're overvaluing my opinion. Uh, you know, it's nice. Maybe my bosses should hear you. That would be good for me. Um, I think uh, I think it's overvaluing a little bit. I, I, I don't discount. I'm not trying to be like sort of uh, you know self humble here. Uh, there's no doubt that people who are part of the broadcast entities read what I have to say. I would never discount otherwise. Part of that is also hubris as well. Everybody in the business is, you know, including myself, generally an egoist. We're reading stuff about uh, about us if it's there. Um, but I think the people who make the ultimate decisions, ultimately, um, they go with what they believe. Now, what they believe may be insane and incorrect and not, to me, with the public's best interest in mind. But I think as a general rule, they, um, they, go, with, they go with that. Where I will agree with you in one sense is that because there's not a ton of people doing this, and because there's not a ton of traditional outlets doing it, now that, you know, there are certainly a ton of blogs that cover uh, sports media, and you know, Deadspin obviously has far more weight than me in terms of reach. But I will say that I think if I do write something, um, and especially if people who are in my similar position, like Richard Sandemir, uh, Neil Best, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, if there's like sort of a, a mainstream take on something, it definitely can have an impact, especially when it's something that's sort of negative. Um, you know, like for instance, Harold Reynolds, I think universally by critics was, um, was panned for his work on the Fox team, uh, with Joe Buck and Tom Verducci. And I think that a lot of times if it starts, let's say with myself or the New York times, et cetera, and then you see like Twitter really sort of respond in the same way, I think that can have influence. And I think it might have influence, you know, on like, listen, you know, maybe we've made, the wrong call here. But I can just tell you, having talked to executives for a decade now, they're pretty, you know, self-assured, perhaps sometimes too self-assured people. And they usually make decisions based on how they feel or they make decisions sort of um, coming from even different things like who's got a certain agent or a certain agency is able to place people on certain networks. So Again, I'm not trying to sort of be humble brag here and say that I don't have influence because I think there's no doubt if people read your words, you have influence. But I don't think it's as influential as you might think because, you know, ultimately someone has to make a decision about somebody paying him a quarter million dollars or a half million dollars, $750,000 or a million dollars. You know, you should not be taking the opinion of me when, when it's your butt on the line for that salary. That said, I will be the first to admit, uh, and I would tell this to your listeners, never um, underestimate uh, television 
executives making terrible decisions. <laughs> All right, I have three final questions for you uh, just on media as a whole. I really appreciate your time. By the way, I, I do want to compliment you on that last issue. I do think there's some areas where you've been very influential on important issues, and I appreciate you going kind of maybe I don't care. I think there's been times I've noticed in the last few years where you've said, you know what, I don't actually care how many clicks I get on this. I'm going to write this because this is important, and I and I don't want to get into what all those issues. And I and I appreciate that. And there's no doubt that, like, I will say this. Um, this is true, and I, I would never discount influence on this. Um, my last week's column, as we're taping this on a Friday, um, I wrote about security in hotel rooms for broadcasters. Talked to seven female broadcasters about what they've had to face and deal with post Aaron Andrews incident. They gave me a lot of, I think, eye-opening stuff. I think. Uh, column was read by hundreds of thousands of, uh, at least hundreds of thousands of page views we got. I think that column really influenced uh, in terms of for the public sort of what these women have to face. And then here's where the real influence came in. The next day, the New York Times ran a story, the exact same content on the front page of the New York Times. Wow. Um, I don't know if they cited Sports Illustrated, but and, and uh, nor do, nor well, listen, you know, they don't even need to. I I know where that idea came from, and I know where they got their idea from. So that turns out to be significant influence because when you get on the front page of the New York Times, you know, a paper read globally, you know, millions of people reading that, that's true influence. And I think the Times story obviously brought that, um, brought that kind of um, awareness to a whole new group of people. So in that sense, I, I agree with you. That was one of those deals where I had a story idea. It turned out to be, like, executed pretty well. And then a big place like the New York Times picked it up, and, and then it does really extend into places that I, I could not get to. My wife was a longtime broadcaster, finished her career before I ruined it uh, as the side. <laughs> as, and I mean, there's no joke about what happened. I ruined her career. Uh, I moved. Uh, she was the sideline reporter for the Seahawks by the end after working for King 5 in Seattle for a long time. And uh, it was inter- it's interesting just to listen to the comments she makes as though they're so commonplace, right? Like, you know, just the phone calls from a player. Like, hey, I'm at the, I'm at the ho- so-and-so hotel. Like, no, no, don't do that. I'm trying to cover you. Like, don't, right. don't do that to me. Like, I didn't do anything here. Like, why did you just do that? You just ruined everything. Like, and how commonplace that kind of crap is it's all very, the time. Very, very, very common. Yeah, all right, here are my three questions for you. Uh, big picture media. Uh, covering it every day, the most worrisome trend of actually no backup, most disappointing thing that's happened that has already happened that you see day to day in in our broadcasting world. I think the uh, the push towards uh, essentially everybody having a take, and for the most part, the race to the, the loudest or the, the the most manipulative or the lowest common denominator. Those takes being rewarded at certain places because. It's really a bottom line business, and you can sort of hoodwink the public a lot of times into trolling them and getting them angry. And I think that's only going to continue to to grow. So I think the lust, the lust for page views, and and the lust for attention in terms of lowest common denominator stuff is uh, it's disappointing and growing, and um, it's not going to change. And I'm not saying the Sports Illustrated occasionally hasn't been part of that. I don't think we've been part of it nearly as much as others, but that's kind of a disturbing trend because that's. That goes against quality, which I think ultimately, and I hope we're all in this business to be in. Well, I mean, it's not like if TV networks promote hate in every direction for 10 or 12 years that it would have any impact on our future political um, process. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Of course. I, I didn't you're say in. That. You see, you're, I didn't say you're that. Seeing an, you're, see, you're, see, you're, seeing, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing right. the first accusation going on in this country when it comes to politics. But I get nervous every day because the amount of 
the uh, as a as a team broadcaster, the amount of fans that are angry and mad after games because I think of what you're talking about that our take world of talk radio and everything else. Like I sometimes wonder, like, why are you a fan? Like, if you're just going to hate on our best player, why are you even being a, like? What's enjoyable good, about that? There's a yeah, there's, it's a fair question. There's a lot of anger out there, and there's now easy means to sort of express that anger, especially with social media. So it is. At times, a scary place. Uh, my, I, I believe this is a different question, but it may be the same answer. What is the most worrisome trend that is a, that is coming down the pike? Um, you know, I mean, again, I, I think it's very similar in terms of sort of the heated, you know, the the the, the, the heated opinion baking that uh, is going on. I'm trying to think of sort of another worrisome trend. I, th- I guess on a selfish level, what's worrisome is that the industry continues to um, crater and contract and newspapers are dying. It's seeming like every week. So there's just far less jobs for people, particularly far less uh, well-paying jobs. So you're seeing a lot of, um, I think you're seeing a lot of really smart people leave the business. And then for young people, you're seeing a lot of young people enter the business with a lot of debt who can't find jobs to pay off that debt. That's uh that's a pretty troubling place. It's a great point. And in radio, there's no Missoula, Montana anymore because now some station in Seattle, Washington is voice tracking in Missoula, Montana. And so exactly. The same thing's yep. No, it's a great point. All right. Um, ending on two positives. The best thing – I actually think we're in the heyday of television, which is funny that like those two questions were negative. We're not in the heyday of media, but we're in the heyday of television. What's the best thing that you've seen done that you're like, wow, this is just so terrifically done? Whether it's a coverage of a t- of a sport, whether I don't know what is it. It's wide open. Uh, I think the best thing that I see on a um, on a sort of a regular basis is Frontline on PBS, which is just incredible journalism on a on a um, on a weekly basis. But the best thing that I li- the best media that I consume every single day is uh, uh, a world service called BBC World Service, which is the BBC's. Uh, radio broadcast which goes around the world and it's the, it, the quality of storytelling and coverage on that is so exceptionally high every day it's actually intimidating they are um they cover the world they cover it like at the highest level and it's like extraordinary to listen to and it's amazing to me that a place can be that good every day and that's what everybody i think in the business should strive for so that that's the best thing it's not sports although sometimes they'll do sports obviously uh usually with a European bench, but that's the best media I listen to or consume on a daily basis. And my last question, if you could cover any event happened or didn't, I don't know where I got this question. I have no idea where I came <laughs> up with this question. What would it have been? You're swiping my, you're swiping my end questions. Well, I don't, I, don't I have to end? Nobody's uh, ever asked you this question. You ask every single one of your guests. This is yeah, your yeah, final question true. nobody's yeah. ever asked you. Well, my, uh, yeah, my favorite, um, the, the, the best, um, the best assignments I've had in my career are the Olympics. I've covered seven of them. It's incredible to uh, incredible to be going to an Olympics on somebody else's dime. So uh, that was sort of my dream was to cover one, and I, I you know that I've covered seven is amazing to me. So I would stick with that, and it would basically be to cover the uh, U.S. versus the USSR in 1980. To have been in Lake Placid, to have been one of the people covering that game would have uh, just been unbelievable, just given the historical significance of it. So if I could have gotten one assignment, it would have been to have a seat at the uh, U.S. 4-3 over Russia on February 22nd, 1980. That's great. Uh, I'm going to close. I want to share a thought with you because I want to go back to the very first question I asked you, which is what have you learned from doing your podcast? 
Uh, here's what I've learned from listening to your podcast and what I actually tell all of those broadcast assistants I aforementioned. you got to be really smart to be good. you got to be – Ivan Mizell yesterday, listen to him. That's a really, really incredibly bright man who went to Stanford who's really, really smart. Um, and I, I can – and I will tell you, when I listen, I can tell the difference sometimes of people who I think like, oh, they – They've got a chance to really go and take another step in their career, and sometimes I listen to someone and think maybe they don't. But it strikes me how incredibly bright some of these subjects you've had are on your podcast. They've been bright, but I would I, the one thing I would counter with you is I, I think more important than sort of however you define intelligence is I think you have to be incredibly um, curious and interested in your subject matter to the point of sort of passion gone wild. And then the other thing is I think you have to be a grinder of sorts. I think you have to, you got to, and you know this just from being what you do, given the amount of games that you do, is you got to really, you got to really work every day. And like in the days that it's not, it doesn't feel good or the days that, you know, maybe your interest in something is waning, you've got to fight through that and try to find something that day that really compels you. The best people I find in the business have never lost their passion for their subject matter or for what they're doing. And that's even more than just straight intelligence. And obviously I've made those a bright guy with Stanford, et cetera. But I, I would even take a grinder and someone who's so passionate about what they do over someone who's like really bright or went to Harvard. Cause to me, those are really the great skills and traits in, in, in sports media. If you, if you, if you go out and grind and if you have so much passion for your content, I think you'll be successful. Interesting. Great comments. Great comments. Uh, thank you for your time today. More importantly, thank you. You have a very uh, positive impact on my life. I love your column. I love your podcast. Uh, your column links to the best news story. Fill my pocket app with regularity. Uh, the amount you actually impact my enjoyment of day-to-day is stunning. So thank you for all your work. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor to have you uh, on Locked on NBA talking about the future of broadcasting. Yeah, man, that's uh, kind of you, and I'll be forwarding all your comments to my bosses for my inevitable raise. So right. thank you very much. And, and we discussed in this podcast how that raise will go. <laughs> <laughs> on that, on Thanks, that, man. I appreciate it. On that note. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10-2 to 10-10. Select styles only.